Welcome to this week's episode of Shrinking Out Loud, the podcast brought to you by Palzone. Palzone is an organisation working to prevent anxiety, loneliness and stress and targets ill mental health before reaching diagnosis through innovative and specific daily techniques that everyone can action in order to support and strengthen their own mental health. This episode is a bit of a different one because I am joined by my wonderful cousin who um, almost doesn't seem like family anymore because I haven't seen him for about 26 years. Um, since he flew off to Australia, I think, to start with, wasn't it? Yep. Um, to, to whisper to horses and then has taken his journey to New Zealand and from what I can tell has um, somewhat joined some, some tribes and is now encouraging different techniques within wellness and, and mental health for perhaps breathing um, and, and physical exercise and things like that but obviously there is no better person to explain it a lot better than I have just than I have just done um, than Christopher himself. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it feels a little bit awkward that we're having a very sort of. It starts off formal and then we'll be able to relax into it and be very informal. But um, <laughs> to be speaking to you from the other side of the world is amazing, obviously. Um, so, thank you for 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 talking today. Um, I think the best thing to, to do is to start with maybe just like a, a summary of um, maybe introduce yourself and then summarise what it is you're actually up to now because um, I should think you'll explain it a hell of a lot better than I did. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's really, it's such a pleasure to be on this podcast. And yeah, it's interesting to hear from an outsider's perspective of, of the kind of things that I get up to. Um, but yeah, this is a call from Aotearoa, from from the land of the long white cloud, um, from New Zealand. And yeah, I've been here for four and a half years now. And I came over here from Australia after a two-year apprenticeship in the art of horsemanship, or learning to, to train and to ride horses. And... When I came over to New Zealand, things changed pretty rapidly for me, and I'd say that I was on a on a journey of getting to know myself in a deeper way, and and really tried to anchor my my purpose. I guess like start to ask those deeper questions: Why am I here? What what am I here for? And yeah, I started to dive into some of the more tribal things like you mentioned. Um, I really connected with the Māori culture over here. And yeah, they just embraced me with open arms and welcomed me like one of them. And mm. I've, it's been a total immersion since then into the world of haka, into the world of waiata or, or songs, um, into the world of karakia, which is prayers or sacred incantations and yeah I found that it's really it's been quite a deep deep resonance for me of, of what I was seeking which was some truth some realness mm -hmm. some some feeling so do you feel like that's sort of only just been discovered for yourself or do you think that that has been like along the whole journey it's just been adding pieces to your jigsaw as it were and, and actually you probably found where you're 
let's say where you're happiest yeah. is where you are now but along the whole way even from sort of Australia and I remember before you went to Australia you did a am I right was it a pilgrimage that you did yeah it was a it was a uh, the Camino to Santiago so it's a long 800 kilometer walk which goes from mm. the south of France along the north coast of Spain to Santiago de Compostela and I think maybe it's a good idea because obviously I know um, your journey to some extent, but like for the listeners, we don't really know how you got to this point. So it'd be great to go back, right back to yeah. um, to where it sort of started. Because I think actually your story is something that I like to to share with with my friends and with a lot of people who perhaps are having a difficult time in finding as you say like finding who you are and and you know trying to find themselves and and it's nice to hear a story that has actually very much done that and like it's obviously taken time for you but it'd be great if you could share like what you're comfortable sharing with with us about that yeah absolutely um so if we skip back nine years uh, i was 25 years old and I was working for a, a, a bathroom company in the Midlands. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was a regional sales manager for a bathroom company and I did not have this beard. I had kind of slick back blonde hair and I used to go to work every day in a suit in a flash company car with you know, company iPad and phone and just business to business meetings and, and plowing the the grey motorways of the Midlands and I think it was it was the conversations that I'd have with my sales director who used to tell me what a wonderful time his 18 year old son was having in Australia and mm. <laughs> that was a that was a bad idea to be having those conversations with a at the time a very um suppressed adventurer yeah and yeah. It, it really sparked this this adventure in me and I was like I think it got to the end of the year and I had to hand in my um all of my receipts for my the fuel that was all paid for and how many kilometers I'd done for the year and or how many miles and I ended up looking looking up on Google how far I could have driven around the world instead of just back and forth on motorways. That's so something you would do as well. Like, no yeah. one else would do that something you. And so, so I was like, oh, this is just a no-brainer. Like, I need to quit this job and I need to just go and start doing what I want to do, which was, which was travel. Mm. I always, from, from 18 years old, um, my, my first girlfriend, she was from Australia. She was over in the UK on a gap year. And it kind of, uh, it definitely planted a seed of, of adventure and travel. And yeah. from, that, from that point, it, it, never really, it never really switched off. It was always trying to grow and always trying to find a way to get out. <laughs> and did you feel like you, like, as you say, like you, you were a suppressed adventurer, but like there was certain sides of you that, were perhaps being demonstrated that you knew you didn't want to 
like for example let's say like before you know a couple of years ago my life in London was very there was you know weekends I'd go out with the girls every weekend and it was very much sort of live for the weekend and and that and and I felt that I probably probably wasn't doing my character and my traits justice in that actually like I wanted a lot more and I know I'm capable of a lot more and I'm not that person who is just hung over every Sunday on the sofa did you feel like there was as well as wanting to go and explore like you were perhaps not the person that you knew you could be and the, the best version of yourself when you were like back in the bathroom sales days yeah absolutely and I'll, I'll be really honest and, and vulnerable here but for that for my 25th birthday um a best friend at the time he was working for mclaren as a designer he mm. turned up on my on my parents driveway in a in a mclaren in a mclaren supercar with the lamborghini doors like nice it was just out of this world the the car was 250,000 pounds and mm. he said look let's go out for a spin he said just don't just don't crash it cuz i'll probably lose my job <laughs> oh god oh god and um yeah we we went down to london and we just had the most incredible night at this um one of the one of the big clubs and i remember being in the vip booth and like just what just the wanting sparklers in the syrup bottle just wanting crap. more just more 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 of everything like and it didn't really? seem to matter whether i had the supercar whether i had um the girl that i wanted in the red dress mm. she had to be the hottest girl in the club like it was just my life was just so ego driven yeah yeah and despite getting everything that i wanted that evening i remember going to Could sleep could you get and... the car no <laughs> no the car the car had to go back to the mclaren technology center <laughs> we just so we just had it for the day what you but... wanted. <laughs> yeah fair. yeah but I, I guess what i'm trying to say is is i th at the time i thought i had the dream lifestyle of a 25 yeah. year old but mm. I was thoroughly miserable inside. There was yeah. no, there was no real sense of feeling alive or satisfaction. And so, and I think that's what a lot of people go through, certainly within their early twenties. Um, that there is that there's there's something missing. But we do, and I remember speaking with um, Reese, who was on the first episode of the podcast, and mm. he actually said, you know, we're we're constantly seeking a specific feeling. And we're trying to find it through whatever means we can. And during that time in so many of our lives, like during our early 20s, we do go to those egotistical things um, and things like alcohol, drugs. And it, you're trying to find the, a feeling. And it's only, I think, as we get older and wiser and as you say, like you have more experiences that you realise that feeling can be accomplished and gained from things like what you've gone on to do um from, from in, inside rather than from outside hey yeah yeah exactly okay mm. so you're in australia and you were doing um horsemanship as you refer to it i call it horse whispering whispering horses um yeah. can you just like touch on that because again interestingly reese thomas mentioned that when he was coming he was in rehab 
um, for alcoholism. And they were taken to a ranch and asked to, um, they had to look after these horses for, you know, a day and they had to interact with the horse, but without speaking to it, they had to ask it to come to them and all this sort of thing. So there's obviously an element of, um, you know, is it a question? Yeah. Yeah, well, I can absolutely yeah. speak to that because. Um, okay, yeah, please do. I think I think the kind of pre, the, just the pre-story to that, of um, of why I decided to pursue that was. Mm. I decided to quit that that job in the UK, and I knew that I wanted to go and do this walk across Spain, and it yeah. was only on the way back from doing that walk. So I'd already walked eight hundred kilometers, still realised. After 33 days, I was still exactly the same man that had left home. Okay. And so I needed to walk back home in the opposite direction to everybody else just to try to find some peace and stillness so that I could mm. actually think. And that's when the clear, clearer than ever before was this voice inside me. It was like, go to Australia and get a job with horses because that's what you've always wanted to do. Mm. And so that's what I did when I came home. I, I said to my parents, I'm, I'm moving to Australia. I'm buying a one-way ticket and I want to I be a cowboy. Um, oh, there we are. I mean, you are definitely that kind of person. And I feel like you're one of those people that if you say you're going to do something, you're going to jolly well do it. And you'd, you couldn't not do it once you've said it, as it were. So I think the whole family knew that as soon as, um your parents said i think christopher's going to go to australia then it was like chris is going to australia and he's probably not coming back <laughs> yeah and, it, and i mean i i had this big goal of of wanting to be like <laughs> wanting to be the next olympic kind of equestrian superstar um you gotta dream big you have to dream big and you have done that because you have sort of fulfilled perhaps not in the way you initially anticipated but fulfilled so many of your dreams and whether that was just actually finding yourself and contentment and stillness as you say like you are very much you know on that journey and and finding that so it might not be the olympic the olympic dream but well this was the, this was the thing so so i had this big idea of of galloping around and jumping big jumps and it the lady who's who who I ended up doing the apprenticeship with, mm. her farm was called Alchemy Place. Now I don't know if you've read The Alchemist, but haven't. That is a must-read book, and okay, a good reco there. The Alchemist. Who's it by? It's by an incredible author called Paolo Coelho, who's okay. written, gosh, must be close to twenty or thirty different books. Right. And The Alchemist has sold over 65 million copies worldwide. I think I think I'm I'm right with that number. And um, How many did Harry Potter sell like? I don't know, you'd have to look that up, but it, it's it's one <laughs> I'm of sure it's more than the Bible. It, it's one <laughs> It's one of the most um most number of copies sold and translated okay. into different languages as well. And it's all it's all about a young boy who's a shepherd. And he has dreams of, of walking to the pyramids and, and walking to Egypt and seeing the pyramids. Mm. And it, it kind of follows his, 
his journey of of his challenges and him getting there and yeah it's a it's a really wonderful story and this was uh so that her farm was called the alchemist it was called alchemy place so right the the practice of alchemy is what the ancient alchemists would do and this was all about turning base metals into gold right now a lot of people um have all sorts of theories about this whether it was a it was a it was a real thing they were trying to do or whether it was a metaphor and mm. i think from my journey i've i've certainly discovered that it that metaphor is true for me that you can turn things that seem very boring and ordinary or or actually very very painful and very disturbing they can when you go into that wound when you go into the core of that wound that is where your gold is that's where your gift lies for your life is that something you teach now do you use that metaphor within the work that you do and and is that what you're trying to encourage yeah absolutely and um I, I really encourage both men and women in in the spaces and containers that I hold to to really take a a big brave step, a deep breath to perhaps look down by their side and take their their inner child, their inner little boy or little girl, take them by the hand and say, "It's okay, we can do this together. I've mm. got you. You can trust me. Let's do this." So there's some, you're sort of opening the wound. You, you have to open the wound in order to to heal it. Is that your... Yeah, absolutely. And the, the the biggest wound for me, which was the reason why I went on that, on that walk, was going through a miscarriage. Right. And specifically the, the loss of a baby or the, the mm. grief that comes when we have so much unconditional love we pre- we're preparing to give that to a being and mm. then that being doesn't come through and i can i mean i can i can talk about this now comfortably and i share this story with with many people um but yeah it, and that, that's happened to me twice that's happened to me two times um mm. i think it's really important that you've touched on that actually because it's something that we probably put a, I don't want this to sound wrong because a lot of our energy when those tragedies of miscarriage and stillbirth happen, um, there's a lot of care and support, uh, well, hopefully, uh, you know, certainly within friendship groups and families given to the woman um, mm. who's lost, lost the baby. But I think the man can sometimes be overlooked in that we don't necessarily understand as women that we're the one carrying the baby or we have the love already. But as you've said, you know, it's important to remember that a lot of men probably also have a lot of pent up love ready to to provide and for their child. Um, and it's important we sort of remember that element of it too when these things happen that you know it can be a tragedy on equal parts for equal parties um during that so that's like thank you for sharing that because i think it's 
really important to remember there's two people involved when when things like this happen and regardless of whether you're carrying the baby or not you know it's something we you both have emotion towards yeah absolutely and I, i've seen some i've seen lots of beautiful pieces of art around this subject and i've read lots of beautiful poems as well and and mm. i remember seeing one that referred to um for a woman that that baby or that soul grows in her womb mm. but for the man that soul and that being starts to grow in their heart mm. and so like i said before when when suddenly that that unconditional love has nowhere to go which i believe is is the definition of of grief yeah um when it has nowhere to go that energy just becomes stuck in the mm. body and from a, a, a wonderful man that i that i know dr bruce lipton he describes that emotion is just energy in motion and so if that energy gets stuck then that that emotion it just can't flow and builds it up yes yeah. either like a lump stuck in your throat or i remember when i used to try and talk about it in the past um i would be feel like i was freezing cold so i'd be shaking mm -hmm. but i'd be i'd be sweating profusely and it mm. and it wasn't from it was just purely from anxiety around this yeah. like touching the edges of this subject and this wound my hands mm -hmm. would start to shake and so I'd be sitting on my hands just hoping that people wouldn't see these these symptoms. Yeah. My bottom lip would start to shake and I'd, I'd go really distant with my eyes and be looking off into the distance and I was just totally detaching from my body. Mm. And it wasn't until I watched a, a documentary film about um, post-traumatic stress disorder that I realized that you don't have to go off to war and see dead bodies or, or things explode to, to suffer from PTSD. And I, I believe that so many people do have traumatic experiences in their life and they haven't been able to, to feel all of those feels and process yeah. that emotion. So. Yeah, 100%. I think it's a real thing with children um, as well at the moment. And I've said it multiple times, you know, with the, with the pandemic, I think there's going to be an element of trauma that has been brought from, from living perhaps in overcrowded homes through, through lockdown and things like that, that will manifest themselves. And as you say, you know, so many more people than we necessarily acknowledge have experienced mm. trauma in some capacity and have because they don't I suppose diagnose or recognize it as trauma that they're going to sort of um, see in the in the future they don't deal with it and they don't allow those emotions to manifest and, and come out and deal with them and acknowledge them at the time so it mm. is something that then comes on later later on in life and as you say sort of comes out as PTSD um, and it's, yeah, as it's so important for people to know that it doesn't just have to be those horrendous experiences. Everybody's experience is relative to them and, and it can manifest itself in the form of PTSD. And I think we need to make sure that through work, like 
things that you're doing, things that I'm doing, and looking after ourselves on a daily basis in whatever way we want to do that is important in order to prevent these things escalating perhaps in the way that they could potentially do. Um, yeah, I, I, I love sorry. what you mentioned there about how um, it reminds me of a book called The, Bo the Body Keeps the Score. Yeah, I've heard about this book. And another one called Waking the Tiger as well. And mm. it's a lot, both of them talk a lot about how the body stores that memory of that traumatic event. And it, it won't surface until the body reaches a place of safety and then we're able to process that trauma. Now, right. a lot of, you see this in a lot of animals. After, um, after a bird has flown into a window, it will go into a state of shock and it will be mm. in, in freeze mode for a while. And then all of a sudden, it will start to flap its wings, shake every part of its body, and then it takes off and it, and it goes off hunting worms and flying around and it doesn't think about that window for the rest of its life. Mm. In, in the same way that dogs and cats, when they get up, they have a massive stretch or they, they move their body. Yeah. Horses, horses are very similar as well. They have a really big shake. And mm. it's usually, that's their, their natural way of, of processing um, a stressful event. But because as humans, our lives are so busy, we, we don't really get that time or space. So it kind of creeps up on us. Yeah. And we, we find ourselves bursting into tears at work or on the train or, or for something seemingly small. But mm. what's really going on is that, is that emotion is bubbling up and, it, and it's, it's, come, it's trying to make its way out of the body. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it, actually. Um, so let's talk then about what you're, what you're doing now and what that's doing towards to sort of help um, and encourage people to be in touch with their emotions and to, to open those wounds and what you're doing to to heal those wounds, if that's how you would put it. I don't know if you'd use a different phrase. No, I, I think that's a beautiful way of describing it. Um, so my, my first experience of this was probably three years ago now, maybe two and a half. Um, I was living down in Taranaki, which is about five and a half hours south of Auckland. And despite having a, a wonderful girlfriend at the time and a beautiful house to live in, um, I didn't have a job. And I couldn't seem to find a job because I just couldn't find the motivation or the focus or the clarity on what it was I needed to do. Yeah. Because there was this overwhelming feeling of backed up emotion, of stored emotion. And it, it was pushing me to, to the point of not really wanting to wake up in the morning. Right. Now, although I've never um, considered taking my own life, I couldn't, I really couldn't find a reason for, for why I wanted to be alive. And I felt thoroughly miserable and um, like I just didn't want anybody to see me or, or love me because I felt so unlovable. Mm. And I remember driving to the, the suicide prevention place in Taranaki. And even when I got there and they asked me, how can they help? Um, I suggested offering my services in, in trying to help other people there. I couldn't even 
be vulnerable in front of them and say, I really need to talk to somebody. Bloody hell. And it was later on that day after uh, driving to the beach and just I had a really bad habit of biting my fingernails and I'd mm. bitten off all my nails, bitten down the skin on the sides like my fingers were in so much pain because I was just in this habit of um, self-harming because that's what it is really. Yeah, it's, it's self-harm. Just, yeah. When when we feel overwhelmed and we can't self-regulate. And a, a friend of mine invited me on it. He said, would you like to come for a walk with a group of men around the mountain? And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I that's need. That's what I need. Yeah. <laughs> I want, I, I want a bit like, of adventure. You want to come and... for some pints and a shot of tequila. You're like, no, I want to go for a bloody walk and get me on it now. Yeah. So I agreed to go on this walk and I, I turned up at, before sunrise in the car park and the full moon was setting behind the mountain. It's absolutely stunning stars because there's, no, there's not a lot of um, artificial light around Taranaki. Mm. And bit by bit, the car park just started to fill up with like 50, 60 men wearing hoodies wearing caps wearing sunglasses wearing bandanas tattoos on their faces and i was freaking the fuck out i was like <laughs> what am i getting myself into i got my little track trainers on i don't really know what to do yeah and and the day kicked off with a with a, a very large circle of men all mm-hmm. circled up just like just like you do for a rugby match and we just started doing a process called tanga, which is, well, it's a, it's a Tereo Māori word, and they have a lot of whaka, whakataka. And so this process of tanga is, is getting to know one another. And you do this by introducing right. yourself, um, who your mother and father are, where you're from, where you were born, and a little, just a little intro of, of who you are and, and why you stand here today. Most people's idea of hell, to be quite honest, when you have to stand in a circle and say a little bit about yourself, I absolutely hate it. Yeah, and especially when the theme is around mental health. You know, yeah. why, why are you here standing in a car park with 50 other men? Like, what's the real reason? And the, the facilitators, who were probably about 10 or 12 men wearing white T-shirts, were kind of spread out throughout the circle. So it didn't matter if somebody was a bit shy and just said, oh, yeah, you know, my name's James and, um, yeah, I'm here just because the bro told me to come and mm. that's that's pretty much it. So, yeah, that's me. And then you'd have somebody next to him who would really go deep into, into story around why he found himself there, like, what were some of the traumas that were coming up for him? So everybody was kind of at their different level of um, of their journey, of their spiritual yeah. journey. And if the if the shares were getting a bit too fast or a little bit shallow, then one of the facilitators would take it really deep with a story about suicide or about right. um, loss of a loss of a partner or just some of the most oh, just some of the toughest things I've ever heard. Mm. And that particular day, so many men introduced themselves as a father of three or a father of six or I have this kid or I have this partner. And it's just 
every time it got closer to me, my mm. heart was just beating faster and faster. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, the reason I'm here is because I've been a father twice, but I mm. don't have any children to to show for that. Mm. And that introduction came out with a huge breakdown and the men either side of me, you know, holding me and saying, you know, I've got you, bro. I fucking love you and that's why we're all here. So just let it go, let it out. Mm. And I'd ne even telling the story now, I have goosebumps all over my body because that, yeah, of that, course. that feeling of, of being held and being loved unconditionally by other men is something mm. that not many men have, have actually experienced. No, and at, at your most vulnerable point as well, that was something that you had built up. And as you say, like as it goes around the circle, most of us get worried about saying who we are and where we come from. But you were about to divulge into, like as you say, your deepest wound and, and what had led you there that you mm. previously perhaps wouldn't have discussed with anybody and now you're discussing it in front of 50 very masculine sounding men who but they've also shared their journey and I think that's what's so important and we are on that pathway to to getting men speaking up and stories like this are just going to encourage it further mm. and the the weight that that lifts off our shoulders like even after that first exercise which probably took close to two hours of of standing there and listening to every man speak um everybody stood taller everybody had a bit of a smile on their face mm. um okay so um you went on this walk and you and the men were they part of what you're doing now so were they in, in did that spark where you're at yeah absolutely so they were part of a men's group and I'd never heard of this concept before. I'd never heard of this movement. So mm. yeah, this it's this particular one was called the Kaitiaki Project. And okay. Kaitiaki is the Tereo Māori word for for guardian. So they were they were standing as pillars in community for being the caretakers of men and women's mental health and also the caretakers of of nature, of the whenua, which they call it over here. And so you went, and so you, the, 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 sorry, the, um, the men who were like providing the circle and the walk, what did you call them? Sorry, the facilitators of it. Yeah. They already worked for, remind me of the word? Kaitiaki, yeah. Kaitiaki. They already did that. Yes. And in order to be a facilitator, you just mm. need to have gone on a previous walk. Okay. And so these walks were happening all over the country. Um, and, and is that we, where you started? So that's where you started. That's where you then thought, right, I need to facilitate this. Because by the sounds of it as well, like even when you went to the Suicide Prevention Centre, I think I'm a massive advocate of helping other people help yourself and yeah. so and I think that's very much you as well so for you to facilitate this environment for other men to talk will have massively helped you and like brought you a lot of strength 
yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. Like the the key for me was the fact that I left that day feeling more empowered than I'd ever felt in my life. Amazing. And that was that was what I was craving. I I wanted mm. to feel my my power, my energy. I wanted to feel me again. You know, I felt yeah. so disconnected from myself, and I missed me. I really yeah. fucking missed me. Because mm. I I it gets knew lonely how. As well. Say that again, sorry. It gets lonely. You sort of, although you've got all these people, and as you say, you had a beautiful girlfriend, you had the house, and you know all that, but you didn't have, you didn't have you, and that's what then mm. makes you. I think a lot of people don't associate loneliness with like themselves unless they're, you know, if there's not hundreds of people around you, then you might feel lonely. But it's actually sometimes, again, it comes back to that sort of. Um, campaign they did where it's you know in a football stadium and like you can be the loneliest when you're on the pitch in front of thousands of fans because it's actually how you feel inside yeah yeah so yeah so you went and you joined this uh you joined this group in order to facilitate this for other people um and what is it that you kind of what would let's go through like your day-to-day provision like what would a course is it done in like day courses is it done across sort of like do you invite people to come along and then they continue coming as like a bit more more of a club kind of yeah so I, I like to describe it as a it's a brotherhood okay um and at the moment that exists in in a one day retreat and it's a nature immersion so we t- I guide people through a day of connecting to nature and con- reconnecting to themselves. Mm. And so it's, it, so it's a it's a bit of a process. Like that that first exercise of of sharing of talking in front of people is is a big one for a lot of people. It's like, well, who who am I to take up any space in the world? Like, who who mm. actually cares about what I have to say? And so actually taking up some space in the within the circle and saying you know this is me this is who i am is is quite a it's quite a huge step for a lot of people and then we go through um other processes like an introduction to meditation where they start to um, really connect with their breath focus on their breath and they start to come more into the the present moment rather than being scattered all over here with responsibilities and the past and what am I going to do in the future and yeah so it it really allows them to to anchor into that present moment yeah and we use lots of different tools like um grounding for example like getting them to take their shoes off and have their bare feet on the earth Mm. um it's a it's a very simple but really powerful tool. Like we all yeah, feel think, great after going for a walk on the beach. We all feel yeah. great after a holiday because we spend so much time in bare feet. <laughs> very good point, actually. I feel that like we you're almost saying that like you're encompassing a lot of different techniques all in one in one in one retreat as we as we call it. So you do your you do your breath work, you do grounding, meditation. When you say being more in touch with with nature, obviously the whole thing is done outside. Is there anything else? I know some people like to 
<laughs> sort of touch or hug trees. And I, for me, it just, it baffles me. My dad said the other day, you know, well, we went and, you know, touched some trees and I was like, what's on earth? Like, why have you started doing that? And he said, well, there's a lot of research in it and it actually really is, you know, it's nice to be in touch with nature, quite, quite literally. So that, I mean, that is a concept that I don't, at the moment, anticipate getting on board with. But do you know anything about that? Is that something that you guys do with being in touch with nature? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and this is another very strong concept of, within Te Ao Māori which is right. the, the world of everything that is Māori. And Māori people identify as tangata whenua, which means people of the land. Mm. They're not on the land. They're not separate from it. They are, they are of the earth. Right. Their creation story is um, the very first human being was a woman and the gods moulded her from clay. And then they breathed life into her body. She said the word tihe, which means to sneeze. And the God said back to her, bless this, you. this is the breath of life. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Ble bless you with the breath of life. Oh, right. So lots of, lots of prayers over here finish with tihe. And then everybody joins in with modiora. So they all say the breath of life together. And so, yeah, they, they have a very um, strong belief that they are of the land. And th mm. this is very common in, in indigenous cultures all over the world. Indigenous cultures, the Native Americans, the people of the Amazon, they, they all believe that they are, they are part of nature. And we know, mm. we know that now through science, that we're made mm. up of many millions of, of minerals, and all sorts of different properties. Mm. And when we die, we turn, we go back into dust. So mm. to, to get to a stage in humanity Same. where so many of us have forgotten that there's actually no difference between us and the tree. So when you spend time sitting with that tree and, and mm. consciously breathing in the what they call over here the modi which is like the essence of that tree you mm. breathe in the smells of it you breathe in the the oxygen that it's producing that we need mm. to breathe like yeah. if you can get to a place of stillness where you can have gratitude for something as simple but as essential as that mm. then you can actually find a lot of peace in that moment and a, and a lot of a lot of love for that tree and that's where this concept yeah. of of tree huggers came from was they they were the women that were protecting the trees and i do get that and and i think we said this to each other the other day you know whatever works for you do it because it doesn't matter it can be the most obscure thing i think i was actually saying to granny um you know if someone asked me what um if you're sad what do you do to um or if you're crying, what do you do to make you feel better? And I was like, do you know what? It's actually really obscure. But I sometimes like put on um, like soundtrack, movie soundtrack that induce me to cry further because I want to cry. So, for example, the James Horner like Titanic theme tune. And I put it on because I need to cry more. And I'm like, yeah. that's so weird. But then 
and for other people they're like you're a moron what's she doing and I'm like but it works for me and so mm. if someone wants to go out and hug a tree and stand there for 20-30 minutes there's a lady outside my flat actually and she she's always out there doing some very strange moves but whatever it is every day she does it and it works for her and I'm like you can girl because yeah. you know she's living her best life and I don't know if you've read um, Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday. No, I That's haven't. It sounds good. It's, yeah, it's really interesting because it talks about finding stillness and how historical figures like you, JFK and it sort of goes between someone like JFK or um, Winston Churchill and then it will talk about someone like Amy Winehouse. And like it's very all over the place, but it all comes down to how they all found different elements of stillness in their work or in their lives. And, and, and that's like really interesting, I think, because it does just show that we all have different ways of doing it and nothing is right and nothing is wrong, particularly when it comes to looking after like nurturing our mental health. Um, so as bizarre as your concept might be, not yours personally, but one might feel that their concept is bizarre it's like no one cares because actually as long as you're helping yourself then you're going in the right direction yeah and it doesn't have to be this this weird image of you know worrying about what will people think of me if Mm. i look like a crazy cat lady who's hugging a tree you know with a cat on her shoulder it doesn't it doesn't have to look like that it can be as simple as acknowledging the fact that you feel shit today Mm -hmm. you feel really sad about whatever it is and you decide to rather than sit inside and distract yourself with social media or drink yourself into oblivion or overeat Mm -hmm. emotionally eat you decide to go for a walk and when you get in the park you take your shoes off and you just go and sit up against the tree with your spine Mm -hmm up against the tree and you allow that beautiful tree which has probably been there for a hundred years to support your spine and you can just mm. r- rest into that tree and just relax and feel mm. held by something and that that can be one of the well i know personally for me that's one of my really happy places mm. is just being sat in nature and then mm. other things start to 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 phase out and you start to focus on the colours of the tree leaves. You start to hear the bird song. Mm. You, you start to connect with the environment that you're in, in the present moment. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that as well, because whenever I think about my happy place, there's two places, and one of them is Stanage Edge, because mm. it's just, I'm never up there with any other external stimulus. I'm there on my own, and I'm normally on a you know I'll go on a run up there or I'll go for a walk and granny will sleep in the car but I'm you know it I find so much peace there and the other place is the Ardesh and that for me they're both beautiful places within nature and it, it's so interesting that those are my happy places and they're times when I don't have anything else other than nature to take in so could you know you, I'm not could happy you just describe Sorry to interrupt, but could you describe how your body feels when you're on on Stanage Edge? What 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 are the sensations that you're enjoying? Yeah, can, if you can try and put that into words. I think it, so. 
it, I think the, I mean, without being there, it's really difficult, but I'm thinking because you're high up and there's nothing sort of overlooking you, it's that I feel very much on top of things and very much sort of at the same time against gravity and it's sort of, I feel light and my headspace is just free of everything because it is just like, um, you can just see at the horizon and that's it. It's all out there in front of you. And it, like I just feel very relaxed and very light when I'm there. I don't feel like there's anything weighing on me. And if there is something weighing on me, that's my time when I can, I really sort of manifest stuff and acknowledge those negative thoughts and think right now's the time to just like get rid of those because yeah i'm up here i guess those are i think those are the emotions that you are feeling Mm. but in terms of physical sensations if i if i could guess it would probably be the fresh freshness of the air Mm. oh gotcha the feeling of of wind on your skin or like blowing through your hair sitting on the rock yeah so you so you're sitting on something mm. natural you you're probably not standing on massive rubber insulators which are disconnecting no. you from from discharging an excess of electrical mm. energy which is all being stimulated by devices and emails mm. and wi-fi and bluetooth and but you're actually starting to feel the natural elements, yes, and, yeah. and you're you're connecting with them in a in mm-hmm. a really in a really intimate way because you've mm. met, you've made time and space for it. You've your full presence is with that moment, with the mm. wind, with the sounds, with your breath. It's a really intimate experience with, with mm. yourself. In this, in the sense of true intimacy, not this like yeah. contorted, um, sexually twisted intimacy. Mm. Sexually twisted. Um, yeah.